welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. We've each been called to this place, this time and this season. You may not know the rhyme or the reason. You may not feel, think, or believe in the same things I believe in. But we've been asked to show up. Show up wherever you are from. You can come here to be free. Bring your full self, both your head and your heart, your hands and your feet, and anything and everything infinitely beyond any duality, your sexuality, gender, race, age, or ability. We all have the ability to be. Without you, I'm incomplete. Without you, there's no we. I need you not just to survive, but to thrive, to come fully awake and alive with potential and possibility. Join me at the table, for it is wide and there's lots of food to eat. So show up and be fed and feed others, satiating a different kind of hunger, fueling the fire in our bellies. No matter what journey you're on, where you've been or what you've done, all will be well when we're all welcome to laugh, cry, dance, write, breathe, and bleed into the margins and follow the call to the farthest reaches of who we are. Whether you run, walk, crawl, even if you fall, we fall in love. But just show up. Show up to answer our prophetic call to justice, to transform both the soul and the bodily world the soul inhabits. Show up with all your awkwardness and bad habits. Show up with your doubts and questions. Knowing here, you can ask them. Show up with your wounds and your scars. We all have baggage. But just know that together, we can unpack it. This is no mistake. You're not here by accident. You're here to share the stories of your sacred passage. You are the only you that ever has been. You are not the magician. You are the magic. So show up to this place here where there's no grace period, there's only grace, period. Bring your fears and insecurities. Let us marvel in the mystery. Let us listen to each other to life with a deep holy listening. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? That's the sound of the genuine within you, the spirit stirring near you. But if you don't show up, how can anyone hear you? Show up. Even if you don't know for certain, you may have the truth and healing for which this world is searching. In this grand universe, we are but small workers with a big purpose because of our hearts widening the circle. Hearts that are broken, hearts that are open, so a little light can shine through, a little hope for the hopeless. Wherever you go, simply know the spirit of this place goes with you. So go. Ready with sleeves rolled up, always growing, never fully grown up, ready with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, simply to show up. Thank you for showing up. All right, friends, um, this is week four, our final week in a series that we've entitled To Walk a Mile. Um, 
In May, usually, is our annual meeting at Awaken, and typically in May, I will get up and I'll share sort of a discerned process among leaders, uh, our our staff, and our advisory team, um, a couple of different uh, goals that we have in this next ministry year. And so this last year, if you weren't here at our annual meeting, um, I shared a number of goals that we had that we want to sort of focus on in this year. And one of them was to engage in, to continue engage in, a couple of difficult conversations, um, or I should say... Maybe some things that are, that are right in the forefront of the imagination for the church and for us as a people, as a culture, as a, as a, a country. And those two conversations were around human sexuality and um, race and justice and reconciliation. Um, so to walk a mile is really an effort to sort of continue down that road, to, to move towards and to engage in um, some conversations that are really important. Uh, so if you're new, this is the last week of that. Uh, the first couple of weeks, we heard from John and Alyssa, who are uh, gay attenders here at Awaken, and um, they shared a little bit about their journey and their story. Uh, and then last week, we heard from Patrick, who is uh, the husband in a biracial marriage. And so this morning, we're going to hear from our, my friend Joe Davis. And this is, um, I want to just sort of reiterate why we're doing this series. Atticus Finch in the book To Kill a Mockingbird says, you can never really know another person until you get in their skin, until you walk a mile in their shoes. And so this series is really an invitation to, to be a listener, um, to sort of carve out some space to be a person and to have a certain kind of posture, a posture of openness to say, what does it mean to listen, to, be, to engage in compassion and empathy, to hear the story of another individual? Um, and so that's the goal. That's the purpose of this. Um, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I would, if you would, please welcome my good friend, Joe Davis. Okay, Joe. How you doing? Doing good. Feeling great. Glad good. to be here. Thanks so much, Pastor Mark. Thanks for being yeah, here. Glad to be here. Um, these yeah, chairs are a little dicey. They're so fun. Yeah, careful. I thought I was going to yep. fall when I first yep. sat down. Yeah, um, Joe, tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about you. What you do during the day? Um, yeah, yeah. So I am a full time artist, and I know that's you don't always hear that all the time, but um, I'm just blessed to be able to pursue my passion full time. I'm a, my primary medium is spoken word poetry as well as music, and, and most recently, theater. I just had an amazing theater production debut at the Southern Theater last night, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was phenomenal, really great. But uh, I just like to really share my story, share my humanity, uh, share what, what quickens me and enlivens me through art, and wherever that, that unfolds, wherever that takes me. And awesome. People book me to do that. <laughs> Yeah. If you follow, if you're an Instagrammer, you got to follow this guy. Evidently. Joe Davis Poetry. Joe Davis Poetry, um, one of the most interesting Instagram accounts yeah. I've ever seen. Check very, out, very well done. <laughs> and if you want tips, Joe will be available afterwards for that. Um, tell us a little bit about your spiritual background. So what, um, uh, like said differently, what's your spiritual identity? What shaped that? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a black church where we would play the, the Hammond B3 organ and the tambourine and shout hallelujah during the sermon. Just like um, Awaken. Yeah, I guess so, obviously, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but then um, over the, the past like 10 years or so, I've increasingly become a part of, of Lutheran communities and Methodist communities um, and, and um, services that, that are maybe more contemplative and, and quieter. And so I've come to identify as a Luther Costal. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, because I still need my vibrant worship, but I also love the theology of grace and those moments of contemplation as well. I think I need more of that in my life. I need both in my mm-hmm. life, and I think we need, we need both in the world as well. Yeah. So. We have yeah. like a, it is a Hammond, but it's not a B3 back oh, there. Hey, the music was, was, was on point this morning. That yes, was beautiful. Yes, I love very, it. Very, very talented yeah. people around here. 
Um, so, Joe, you were at Luther Seminary. Yes. And are, you've graduated? Yeah, just last spring. Just finished with the Masters of Theology. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Do you, do you feel like you've got it mastered then? Nope. Oh. <laughs> Not at all. It's a lifelong, lifelong process. Um, so let's just jump into some of the, uh, maybe the, the, deep, the deep end of the theology pool. Um, yeah. I'm curious as a, I've asked this question to each of our guests, and some have said, yeah, in some ways it's, it influences how I read the Bible, and others have said, not really. But as a person of color, how does your perspective or your lens change, or is it influenced um, by sort of your story when you read the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, as a black man in America, uh, my lived experiences definitely influence how, how I uh, read the Bible. I see the Bible um, through the hermeneutics or the interpretation of radical, resilient joy. Hmm. Uh, that's what I think about a lot of times. So I see uh, Jesus or Yeshua. He's, he's leading a group of people who have been historically like marginalized and minoritized, who have been like occupied and oppressed. They have a history of trauma and violence. And yet... He's saying he's come to set the captive free. Hmm. He's come to, to give them joy and to give them life more abundantly. So that definitely speaks to my experience as a black man here in America. Um, it encourages me and gives me inspiration, gives me hope. Yeah, one of, uh, in, in studying with a rabbi and speaking with a number of other Jewish folks, um, they would say that the, the sort of the main story in the Bible, or the Bible begins with the story of the Exodus, right? Mm. So here's a story about an enslaved group of people for whom God was the liberator, mm. um, this slaves becoming free. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, but speak to how that, that story has shaped you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a source of, of strength for me, uh, a source of, of joy. Uh, when I, it, it lets me know that in spite of what my circumstances are, that there's still hope for things to be transformed. Because you have Jesus who's transforming death into life, who's transforming those who have been enslaved and who have been oppressed into people who are leading a movement of liberation and of, and of love. And everywhere there was like socio-political or culturally even spiritual oppression, Jesus showed up and he said, no, there needs to be more, more inclusivity, there needs to be more hospitality, more compassion. Um, and that, that gives me hope and, and an example of what to, to do in this day and age in my ha, life. Have you read the bigger, uh, A Bigger Table? I haven't read that yet. Okay. I can put that on the list. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it in your, in your opening piece as oh, well. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, <laughs> so uh, reconciliation is a word that seems to be integral to the gospel, um, to the scriptures. So riff on this idea of reconciliation. Paul speaks about it in Ephesians um, a number of other places, but what does that word mean to you as a black man, but then also as a biblical idea? Yeah, I think that, so, so for me, uh, reconciliation is about reconnecting to first our creator and then to each other and to the land. Because um, I think that, that God's original plan was just to hang out with a, a couple of naked vegetarians in the garden, you know, but I, I think that we ran away from that vision in multiple ways. Right. Like, and we, we, we ran away from that vision with division. And mm. so um, my, my hope is to reconnect again, um, using the scriptures, being in faith communities, and living out th those promises and that purpose that God has originally called us to. Um, I like to think about, you know, we're all created in the image of God, the imago Dei. Um, I like to think about re-imago deifying each other or the mm. radical rehumanization, like recognizing that God-given human dignity that we all have um, and no matter who that is, no matter who's pushed to the margins, the most vulnerable people of society, um, connecting and, and recognizing that, that divinity and dignity that, that God has given us all. 
I think that's what that reconciliation means to me. Um, one of the, so as a staff, we've been reading, uh, we just finished a book together, and it's called White, uh, White Awake, which by the way, I would highly recommend if anyone's interested in resources, sort of maybe beginning a journey in this, this conversation, so it's called White Awake. Uh, so he spends t- time talking about like what is whiteness and what is race, uh, and one of the things that I think I was surprised by as I started learning is the, the fact that like race is a social construct or something that we've constructed. Can you yeah. speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think sometimes when, when, we, when we talk about race being a social construct, something that's made up, we also have to realize that even though it's constructed um, and it's this fake thing, it still has real impact. Sure. Just like we con- this building is constructed, but we're still inside of it. Or our houses are constructed and we still got to live in it. Right. So if it's constructed, it can also be deconstructed. And so we already have the, this structure in place, but we get to decide what we're going to make of it, what we're going right. to do with it. And so I think it's, it's, it's our responsibility and it's my commitment to, to, like, to hold that structure of race in a way that's life-giving, in a way that uh, creates that, that, uh, that beloved community that, that Christ calls us to. Um, so I don't, I don't think race in and of itself is a problem. I think it's the ways in which we handle that, that structure. Right. <clears throat> and one of the things that I found helpful is like the differentiation between ethnic background or ethnicity mm-hmm. and race. Mm-hmm. Um, ethnic background being we all come from somewhere. We all have some you know, ancestors and history and stories and places yeah. that we come from. Mm-hmm. But race, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this thing that sort of comes later, um, essentially as America is being formed and slavery, it needs something to, be, to justify it. Um, and race, this differentiation based on skin color, mm-hmm. is sort of begins to emerge in, at that period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the reasons why the, uh, the, the language of race was popularized was to legitimize the enslavement of, of African people. Right. So, so that's, that's why it's so problematic, because it's rooted in that history. However, that history still impacts us today, and it's, right. it's, we, we have this opportunity to kind of unpack some of that and to re-envision how we want to move forward. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I've been challenged by is the, the idea of whiteness. Like, mm. when we say, oh yeah, we're all a group of mostly white people in the room, mm. that actually, um, it's harmful on a number of levels, but mm. personally, like, it minimizes my story. It yeah. minimizes yeah. my particularity as a Swedish and Scottish, of Scottish and Swedish heritage, mm-hmm. um, which I found to be a very interesting idea. Yeah. Um, speak, so I'm going to read a quote. I, I want you to riff on it or, or maybe respond to it. Um, this author says, this is why the sin of racism is so serious. The system of race at, at its core is a revaluation of human worth. Instead of ordering human value around the idea of the Imago Dei, it ascribes value based on proximity to whiteness. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can relate to that, having experiences where I felt like my identity um, my, my cultural, ethnic, racial identity wasn't valued as much as, as my, you know, my white friends or, or other white folks. Um, that's, that's especially true in America, but I think it's true in a lot of other places. And it may be hard to see if you're, you're a white person because you're just kind of living in, in the, the world and, and you, you have your experiences. But as a person of color, you can kind of see some of that differentiation from a different perspective, perhaps. Right. And so, yeah, that definitely reflects a lot of my experience. I can name stories that reflect that. I have plenty of stories that I could share. Would you be willing but, um, to share one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, I, I, I'll name a couple here. So, for instance, when I was, um, 
working at a grocery store, um, I, was, I was one of the guys pushing the carts all the time. And so I was, at the end of one of my shifts, I was, was getting ready to go home, pushing carts outside, and I saw this, uh, this lady walk outside of the building to walk to her car. She looks at me startled and runs back into the, into the, the grocery store. And I was wondering what, what happened. It kind of caught me off guard. But she comes back with one of the bigger dudes who works at the grocery store. We call him Big John. He came out, escorted to her car. He looks at me and starts laughing. I'm like, what was that all about? She's like, oh, the, the, the lady came in and said uh, she was afraid because there was a black man in the parking lot. Um, and I was like, I don't think I'm a very intimidating looking person. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why she was startled, but that type of thing happens to me on a regular basis. Um, that's why I say I have so many stories that it's almost um, too much to enumerate, where I just kind of adapt hmm. um, and, and just like try to find ways to, to still, um, you know, still try to create the change that I want to see. Um, but that's, that's the reality for, for myself and many other black people of color, not, not only black people, but people of color as well. Yeah, we, we spoke uh, when we were having lunch. Um, when you walk into a room, mm -hmm. like what's happening to you? Share a little bit about that. Yeah, so I mean, oftentimes when I walk in the room, I can kind of just gauge like the energy in the space and try to fill, fill out if this is like a safe space or not, um, depending on who's in the room. Are there people who, who would affirm and honor and celebrate my identity? Or are there people who are gonna, gonna minimize my identity or try to deny my humanity? And that's the sort of thing that kind of happens. Uh, one of those adaptive right. uh, tools that has happened, <laughs> but it happens so quickly, like almost in an instant, as soon as you step in the room, as a person of color, oftentimes we're already gauging, okay, is this a safe space for, for my body to be in right now? Mm. Um, and, and, and even if there's white people there, it's not so much about just white people who say that they're not racist, but white people who are actively against racism. Because racism is this big system, right? And if we're not actively doing something to change that system, then we're just complicit and complacent in it. So like, for me to gauge whether or not I'm in a safe space is to, to recognize those people in, in a building, in a room. Um, yeah. immediately how, how and you know different ways to try to figure that out you mentioned something without calling it uh, a word that I maybe some are familiar with the idea of code switching mm, yes yeah yeah let's talk more about that yes yeah, so, so code switching is like changing slightly the way that you talk or that you act to, to make sure what you're saying is like mutually intelligible so that people can understand it so like I will talk differently to, to some of my black friends or some of my family um, than I would to maybe some more white friends and it's not so much about um, changing who you are, I think it's still authentic and appropriate. The one example I like to give is like, it would be socially irresponsible to talk to your three-year-old niece the same way you talk to your 80-year-old grandmother, right? You're not gonna talk the same way to those people. It's just about making sure you're understood, making sure everyone's on the same page, being mutually intelligible. Right. But that's a skill that, that oftentimes uh, people who are, who are in a dominant cultural society and they're part of the the minoritized culture of society, um, they kind of learn those skills throughout their lives in order to be mutually intelligible. Right. Yeah. And we all do this to a certain degree. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Based yeah, yeah. on what context we're in. Mm -hmm. But as a person of color, yeah. that's a burden that you bear yeah. every day. All the time. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. I don't have to do that nearly as much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little more education, if, if you would. Um, yeah, yeah. You talked a little bit about the idea of, um, there's a word that, that I've heard often, and it's this idea of white fragility. Mm. And you kind of reframed yeah. it and talked about like racial resilience and racial fragility. Yeah. Talk about that if you would. 
Yeah, so, so oftentimes in these conversations around race, um, and, and white folks in the room, you can uh, affirm or deny, just let me know. But I, I, in my experience, I notice that white people oftentimes get uncomfortable <laughs> when we talk about race, right? Um, but I think uh, when I talk about racial fragility and, um, and racial resilience, the resilience is that we lean into that discomfort I think we can all, regardless of what race you are, these conversations are complicated. They're, they're deeply rooted in like heavy histories, right? So we all get, we all get uncomfortable. But I think the, our beauty and our power, it lies in us leaning into that discomfort and building a resilience. Mm -hmm. I'm not running from it because there's so much to learn um, and there's so much joy and beauty on the other side of this thing. I like to call, um, I, I use this phrase called holy discomfort. And what that means to me is, is you can see it all throughout the scriptures. It's, it's just a nature of the universe. It's, it's the way of life. Where there's discomfort, there can also be growth. Um, you think about when, when uh, athletes are in the gym working out, you got to tear the muscles to build the muscles. Or even the scriptures use the metaphor of the seed oftentimes. Mm -hmm. and, and the seed can't grow unless it's first crushed and cracked open. And so when we're feeling these things in our bodies um, and in our spirits, so that, that, that discomfort, um, when we're talking about these things, we have to recognize that regardless of how we feel, there's so much joy and beauty on the other side of that. If we're able to, to sit and to listen to what, what is there to be gleaned, what is there to be learned from one another. Um, and we're really just trying to build the, these, these bridges and build these relationships yeah. for, for that beloved community, that, that vision that God had for us all. Yeah. So I think that's worth sticking through the discomfort. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. You do best what you do most. So I think if we can normalize these conversations, continue to create these types of spaces, then we'll be, we'll be all the better for it. You do best what you do most. Yeah, so I always say that. <laughs> it's a Joe Davis quote right there. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> so you're actually married to a Puerto Rican woman. I so am. you're a part of a biracial I marriage. Am. Yes. Um, yeah. I, one of the questions I asked Patrick last week were, what are some of the like, subtle obstacles or challenges you face in a biracial marriage? Yeah, so I mean, I got to practice what I preach. I do a lot of intercultural competency work, and, and it definitely uh, uh, comes alive in my marriage, uh, like in pre preparation for our, our wedding. We just got married this summer. Um, yeah, we can celebrate that. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I got to meet her family where it's so beautiful to see like my family and her family just come together in this amazing way. I was taking uh, salsa lessons. I had never done salsa before in my life. That's the dance, um, not the chip yeah, thing, Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, gotta clarify, gotta clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm getting pretty good at it. I was pretty good about do say so myself. And then uh, even for, for my vows, um, I actually did part of the vow. We wrote our own vows. And of course, mine were poetic. And part of my vows were written in Spanish hmm. as well. And so um, just, just making, making that genuine, authentic effort to like, you know, come, come closer to her. Um, and she, she does the same thing for me as well. And, and what I love about a relationship is we're, we're able to have a space where we're so open and honest and vulnerable where if I say or do something that's like dumb or just doesn't make any sense, she can call me out. But it's more like, I, I like to say call me in really because she loves me and she cares for me. And I love her and I care for her and I don't want to say things or do things that are going to hurt her. So, so like our hearts are for each other. Mm. And so she's able, we're able to have that relationship where we can, we can do that. And I think for me, the hope is that we can have a space where it's like that for everyone, regardless of what their race or ethnicity or culture is, where we realize that our hearts are for each other and we want to create a beloved community, we want to create a space where we can truly feel 
welcome and a sense of belonging, and we don't got to be afraid <laughs> to, to call each other out because we can do it in love. It comes yeah. from love. Yeah. I love that idea. Rather than calling out, what if we called each other in? Yeah. That's good. Um, what do you love about life while black? Hmm. A lot of things. Oh, man, so many things. How, how much time you got? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, love, I love my culture. I love my family. I love my ancestry. Um, but one of my favorite things, and I know we talked about this briefly, is like kind of this sense of, of like, uh, of connectedness, of, of knowing when I see another black person, I may not even know them, but we can give each other this kind of head nod, like, yeah, I know, you know, we know. <laughs> you know, it's just this beautiful thing. It's like hard to explain. It's almost ineffable, hmm. like, but it's just this sense of connectedness. I think it comes from like just a, a common history, a, hmm. a shared struggle. Um, that's one of my favorite things. Also yeah. the food too. Favorite food? Oh man, soul food for sure. Man, but it, it's tough. It's, it's kind of like a tie between cornbread and my mom's famously scrumptious macaroni and cheese that I just had for Thanksgiving. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom's here too. She's visiting. Mama D. Yeah, my mom's visiting for the holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is macaroni a side dish or a main dish? Oof, it's always a main dish for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard the correct answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Both. Both of them. Okay, hey, yeah, I like that yeah, one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Joe, we, we're a new friendship you and I have, yeah. uh, introduced by a mutual friend, um, and as a guest to our community, is there anything that you wished we knew or saw that we maybe don't know or see as it relates to this conversation around race and justice and reconciliation? Yeah, I feel like you named some of it already where you talked about really learning about um, the, the particularities mm. of your identity, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that the identity of whiteness can erase part of, part of you all, your all's identity when you talk about your, your background, your heritage, right, right. your ancestry. And, and I believe that the more we learn about ourselves and about our own racial identities, cultural identities, ethnicities, mm -hmm. the more we're better to appreciate that of other people. So I think recognizing like your social positioning, who you are, where you come from, and really, really having a deep-rooted understanding of that before you even go out to understand other people, hmm. that will only make that the much more, you know, much more stronger, yeah. much more beautiful. And so, so that's what I would just encourage people to do is like learn about yourselves. Um, and then, then when you get the opportunity to, with open hearts, open ears, open minds, listen to other people's stories and learn more about them as well. As it, yeah. <clears throat> maybe last question, as it relates to the church, the big C church, related to race and diversity and justice and reconciliation, all these things kind of swirling around. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for, mm. for the church? Yeah. Well, I hope things like this happen more often because this is beautiful. Can we make some noise for this right now, for y'all just being a part of this and for yeah. Pastor Micah, like, opening up the space? This is beautiful. Yeah. My, my vision is for this to happen, like, all the time and where, where we can really uh, create the space where we can be open and honest and vulnerable and, and in spite of the discomfort, because the discomfort is going to come, we can't say that it's not going to come. It's inevitable. We're gonna, and we're going to fail. We have to understand we're going to make mistakes. We've already made a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. and we're going to continue. But that's part of being human. It's part of being in a relationship. They're messy. They're complicated. But my hope is that we, we won't be afraid. We'll have the courage to continue to do that, that compassion. I like to call it compassionate courageousness. Like, just keep doing it, man. Yeah. Let's, let's make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I know... <clears throat> Um, I recognize that even in, in the invitation, right, to come and be a part of this, that there's a cost that you bear. 
Um, and so I recognize that. But can we just say thank you to Joe for, for being with yeah, us this morning? morning? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.